So our special guest today is Lisa LaBelle, and she is a horror book reviewer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So how did you get started in reviewing horror books? Um, well, it's funny, actually, because um, it was it was after the it was during the pandemic at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I went through an unexpected divorce. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I was super isolated because all my family, it was a thousand miles away. So I was spending a lot of time in the Stephen King groups and someone, you know, um, from Grimoire of Horror, they re um, reached out to the group and asked if anyone was interested in being a book reviewer. Yeah. So I said, that sounds like my kind of thing. So I jumped on it and I was writing for Grimoire of Horror. Brilliant. That was, yeah. Sounds good. And did you do much review for them in the pandemic? Um. Yeah. So um, Richard Chismar's book, Chasing the Boogeyman, came out. And um, I started with them around that time. So I was able to get an advanced review copy of that one. And it was just so exciting. Um, but yeah, I got to review a bunch of stuff. Cemetery Dance was always sending me good stuff to review. And yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it was actually 2021 when I started with them. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, were a little in there, but because that was, it was when uh, Chasing the Boogeyman came out. And yeah, so I was working with them. I worked with the Forgotten Fiction as well. Uh, doing book reviews for them and um I really enjoy it um it's, yeah. it's reviewing is quite good isn't it because it takes you off into different worlds all the time doesn't it it's something different every single book yeah so the thing for me that was most interesting was seeing all the different writing styles you know because I read a bunch of books I never would have picked up on my own probably and, you know, I, I read a lot on Audible. I like to listen while I multitask, but these were physical books and it just had a different feel to it. And yeah, but it was something different every time. And like, I got to learn a lot, you know, about kind of like what carries the book through, like what makes it compelling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's good. So how would you approach reviewing a horror book? What elements do you normally focus on? So for me, every book has, it's it's funny because I know we said we're doing two interviews, but so much of this ties itself into each other for me with how I became to be an editor was because I was getting these arcs and seeing these mistakes in these books. And I was like, oh no, it's too late to save them. They needed me sooner. But um. <laughs> we can imagine it, too. <laughs> it, it was really hard to just read and not be able to fix it like it just like oh but um for me that a book is compelling and the story has to be compelling and the writing are two different things so you have sometimes you have a good writer who can't tell a good story and it's a bit of a snooze fest and yeah. sometimes you have a great story and the writing is not as great, but it's more forgivable if you have that powerhouse of a story behind it. Yeah. Well, you've dropped yourself in it now, Lisa, because I've grabbed both sets <laughs> of questions and I've got them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. How did you become an editor? So um, 
I actually, I started proofreading for Cemetery Dance. And I think I contacted someone who worked there and asked if they were looking for someone in like an intern capacity. I started proofreading for them. And I went on and I started my own business and level up editing. And, you know, so getting those arcs, um, some of the horror ones, especially, I don't want to name ones that (laughs) had critical errors, but there was one (laughs) book in particular that I was reviewing and um, their intro was just, it name dropped 20 characters that, you know, you had no idea who they were talking about. And the first chapter has to sell the book for me, Um, you know, and if you're little Kindle review or like, like take a look inside this book on Amazon or you're reading the first chapter and it's like, what are all these names? Like you lost me. Like I'm going over to the Barnes and Noble. I'm getting a Starbucks coffee and I put your book back on the shelf. Yeah. So they name dropped all these names, but went into the book and it was a very good book, but like it, Oh, some of those cringy errors, like changing narration mid paragraph and like, I I wished I could talk to the author and like that I wasn't being handed an arc that was, you know, a month from being published because they really needed to see someone sooner and get some advice on some of these things that would really help make their book more powerful, more sellable and more enjoyable overall. Yeah. So how do you approach working with authors to sort of like maintain their unique uniqueness in uh, a book? So that was the funny thing about proofreading. And I really had to learn when to curb back my edits because I would have a tendency to just go wild on the word document. But um, as I'm reading a book, and especially on longer books, I start to learn like which things are a writer's style versus which things are grammatically incorrect. So sometimes there are grammar errors, but it's in the cadence of what the author is saying. And if they continue it throughout the book, I have to go back and be like, okay, this is the way they write, you know, I'm leaving that alone. Like there's artistic license in there. So, and it's really, it's with each new author, there's a new experience for that because everyone has their own style. And that is the most fun of all for me. Yeah. I mean, like with some books that have a unique style um, with the edits that you do, are you able to say still sort of like talk to an author and say, look, it would be better if it was this way um, versus this way and still be able to keep their uniqueness in there? So if, so sometimes they'll have something and I'll be like, hey, you know, I think it would be better if we worded it like this, or I think, and um you know, some people are more open to suggestion than others. And, you know, a lot of authors, their book is their baby and they feel very strongly about certain aspects. And they're like, no, we're not changing that. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, it, they're the boss in the end. So what they say goes. So if I have an opinion about a grammatical thing and they're like, nope, that's or, you know, even if it's a plot thing. And I say, I think it would be better if the story went this way. If they feel like strongly in their heart, they want the story to go their way. You know, you have to respect that because writing is an art, you know, and every person is unique and you never want to quash the uniqueness with (laughs) grammatical edits and, uh, you know, all of that. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see authors making in 
especially horror writing? So in horror, a common problem is starting too slow. Because going back to when your first chapter has to sell the book, um, I was proofreading one book and I said, well, you know, if I didn't already know this was a horror, I'm 100 pages into a 250 page book and I don't actually know this is a horror. You know, the author has not given me like, why, why is this a horror? Um, So that's, that's one of the common mistakes if it's too slow in the beginning, because you want it to be compelling. So like, I want the first chapter to have a punch. If you have a slow burn kind of story, um, adding an intro um, that's powerful or something, pull something from later in the book, like a scene and really have the beginning of the book really hook the reader so they want to continue reading through because if you're reading it and you're like why was this in the horror section for a hundred odd pages you lost me and that shouldn't be happening so that's that's one of the things I see more often um it's got to pack a punch hasn't it really the first chapter and sometimes you know it's it's regrettable because as you keep reading like yeah it's a good story but I sit back and think like if I didn't if I wasn't reviewing this book or if it wasn't a proofread or an edit, would I have continued reading it on my own? And, you know, I ask myself that, like, what would I think of this as the reader? And that's an important question for me, you know, when I'm reviewing a book or when I'm editing a book, like if I pick this up off the shelf, what what am I thinking right now as the reader? Yeah. I tell, I tell my authors, I'm Jon Snow. I know nothing. I don't know what's going on here. And a lot of it is like raising my hand and being like, oh, I'm confused in this part. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Because the author has a vision in their head and they know what they're saying, but sometimes the audience doesn't. And that's really when you need that other set of eyes to come in and read your story just out of the blind and point out which things might not make sense early on or um, if there's a lack of consistency. Um, and you know, and just talking typos alone, like it is impossible to read your own work. I mean, like, even if I'm writing an article, I need someone to edit that because you read your own words so many times, your eyes skip over the errors because you know what you're saying. Yeah. And that's why everyone, everyone needs an editor. Yeah, that's that's right. You can get familiar with words, can't you? Once you've written the book yourself. And you're reading it that many times doing different drafts. You, you get used to what you're seeing. Absolutely, exactly. And it was even um, one of the books I was editing. I, I read it like 10 times and even I was skipping over stuff. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, all right, I got to sleep on this a little bit and come back to it with a fresh set of eyes and not, you know, because you see something new every time. It feels like sometimes when you know you're writing and but that's when um having another set of eyes look at it looking at it really comes in yeah so how do you deal with like um we're talking about extreme splatterplum coronary um so how do you deal with reading disturbing or frightening content as a reviewer or an editor <laughs> um, <laughs> it's happened <laughs> um i um i don't scare easy And, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, why horror? Like, why can't you read something nice? And I I really love horror because, I don't know, like, but I like my horror on the fiction shelf, like, firmly. And sometimes horror, you know, it dabbles into science fiction or it just gets a little too close to reality. You know that show Black Mirror? Yeah. Like, you know, 
Black Mirror, Paranormal Activity, The Fourth Kind, I Can't Sleep at Night. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, like, when when it gets a little too close to reality, that's one thing. But sometimes, like, there are some genuinely graphic scenes in books. And um, I... You know, if if an author can put words on page and make me like have a physical cringe, I applaud them. Like, you know, <laughs> it's uncomfortable for sure, but I'm like, yay for them. <laughs> That's a good job. <laughs> but um, you know, sometimes when it's disturbing, I need to like step away for a second. That and I think that's it's only happened to me on one occasion where something was too disturbing to read. But um yeah, taking a break and on, on different projects, if I'm doing proofreading, I'm not working with the author directly. And if I'm doing reviews, I'm not working with the author directly. Usually yeah. um, when I'm editing, I am working on like with the author, author directly. Oh, there was a scene in um, there's a new release coming out from Jeff Oliver and Chris McCauley. And um, they are doing it's called blood and verse and it is based on dracula and yeah. it's very very good there there was a scene in there that had me for a second i had to step away for a bit but you know like i give them gold stars you scared the horror editor good work you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job you know am i feeling well probably not but you know they did a great job <laughs> that's what matters <laughs> Have you ever refused a book or sort of like put a book down and thought, no, I'm just not going anywhere near that? I have. I have. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to name that. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. It just, just once, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a mess. It was, it was a writing catastrophe. There were, there were many disturbing scenes and um, just, uh, they they wanted to make their own grammatical rules. And it was one of the situations, thankfully, I wasn't working with the author. I've never been in a situation where I've worked with an author that, you know, and it hasn't worked out where I said, like, I can't work on this book. And um, yeah. it was in one of those positions where it could easily go to another proofreader. And it was not a problem. But that has only happened to me once. And yeah, uh, yeah. I was surprised that wasn't a very nice. Experience. I don't like. Yeah, I don't like having to do that. That doesn't feel good. Like I feel like, uh, but it was a rare occasion, and but it does it does happen. It does happen. Yeah, I can imagine it does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, let me just have a look. See, I'm looking through two sets of questions now here for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I pulled that out of nowhere on you. I, I, you know, I was trying to really stay to my book reviewer questions. And I'm like, I can't say how I feel about this editing, but I, I got, I got really. <laughs> they, no, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, they all, they all kind of mesh together for me. But the no, frustration and not being able to, and like, you know. A lot of people say to me, like, don't don't you want to be writing? Like, why do you enjoy editing? And like, you know, it, it seems tedious to a lot of people like going in and adding the commas. But it's kind of like if you have OCD and you walk into someone's house and all their pictures are crooked, 
Like, that is what reading those arcs was like. And being an editor, like, I'm allowed to fix all the pictures on the wall. And it makes me happy. It's deeply satisfying. <laughs> Everything is right in the world. I can straighten all the pictures. Everything is as it should be. <laughs> and here's me. I can just sit on the sofa and just look at them crooked pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone, everyone is different, but it's one of those things. Um, but it, it's definitely a lot more fun to read when I'm, I can be part of the process. That's good. So what advice would you give to an author that was looking for an editor for their manuscript? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I never quite thought of it that way. Um, you know, so a lot of people, they have an assumption that the publisher is going to do the editing. And a lot of publishers do have an editor. But when you're submitting, it, it depends. So there are people who self-publish. There are people who submit to a publisher. And they're, you know, but when you submit a book to a publisher, they expect that it has already been through some sort of editing process. Like yeah. you can't really just hand them a book that you just wrote maybe your friend looked at because there's going to be stuff in there you haven't caught and not to say it doesn't work out for some people but I've seen a lot of books slip through the cracks where it should have seen an editor and it could have been better and you know I want I want that book you know from that first time author to be the best it can be and mm -hmm. if you're not having an editor look at it it's not the best it can be um so what might happen is a publishing house um, might reject it, or I have had a lot of authors, they trusted the publishing house to do a thorough edit, and a lot of mistakes went through. And then people were reviewing their book and being like, you know, why are there so many mistakes in here? And uh, the publisher let them down, and the editor that worked with the publisher let them down. And, um, you know, um, you want your work you know, when it goes to publishing to be as close to perfect as it can be, like, even if they do have an editor on staff, um, I've been astonished by some of the stuff I've seen that has gone through an editor from, you know, from a publisher, and it's gotten through somehow. And then, you know, the author's upset, like, I can't believe there's all these mistakes in my published book, what were they doing? Um, so hiring an editor on your own as an author is really it, it's taking control. You know, your work is going out there. It's your written word. You want it to be beautiful. And it's an investment in that. And um, I think a lot of people are trying to bypass it, you know, especially with AI. And why don't you just run it through Grammarly? And it is just not the same. And, you know, you, you have to trust who you're handing your book to. Um, yeah. And especially if you're self-publishing, I would I would really recommend because then, you know, you don't even know if you're you, you don't have a proofreader looking at it. Um, yeah, self-publishing that that seems a little scary if you're not having an editor look at it. But yeah, it it happens. Yeah, I can uh, definitely talk from experience through using <laughs> Grammarly. Um, definitely. Uh, with one of my books uh, I've been picked up in reviews on my grammar a lot of the reviews are really good but they all kind of like mention about the grammar needs work so yeah um that one yeah, it's 
those are like nitpicky things to me. And it's such a shame when like a book suffers because there are these grammatical errors and like, you needed me. <laughs> you needed me sooner. <laughs> it's my rallying cry. <laughs> yeah. So that one's been taken off uh, soon to be revamped. So before the sequel comes out. So, yeah. But yeah, I can. There's a lot of things out there at the minute, isn't there? To sort of like um, help, supposedly help authors. You've got Grammarly, you've got Pro Writing Aid. Um, as you said, AI can do that as well. So, um, do you feel like editing is going to get surpassed by these things? Well, gosh, I hope not. Um, but, you know, editing aside from just those grammatical mistakes, you know, there's things, you know, AI can't possibly pick up, like the tone of the author, uh, which things are stylistic, even if they are not grammatically correct. Um, you know, when I work with Jeff Oliver, for instance, he does a lot of poetry and prose. And, you know, sometimes I'm Googling, you know, words that rhyme with whatever, because, you know, you have rhyming words every few lines. Yeah. And um, I don't think AI can do that. Poetry is, horror poetry is fun. And, um, but it's it's the little details or like you're reading through and um, in one of the books, I, I figured out who the killer was too early on. <laughs> and I said, this, this is what made me figure it out. And they took it out of the book. And oh, I can't wait till more people read it. And like, you know, so like my major clue, they're like, no, I don't want my reader to know who the killer is that fast. They're like, damn. <laughs> So, I mean, stuff like that, AI definitely can't do with um, your content, your plot, making sure it's compelling. AI is never going to replace that. I mean, are people going to try to get around it anyway? Absolutely. You know, but uh, no, it just can't replace an actual person. No. So what do you do if you sort of like are reading a book and you notice that there's a major plot hole? How would you sort of like approach the author and tell them that? Um, see. It, um, so sometimes I'll point out a plot hole and still disagree. They're like, no, it's not a plot hole. And, um, you know, kind of got to let some of it go, you know, on my end. And like, you know, I can get, like I said, OCD perfectionist and, but they, they are the author, they are the boss. And, um, you know, if they feel something is not necessarily a plot hole always, but like do the facts check out and yeah. suspension of disbelief is a big thing. Like you're reading a book. Um, they talk about suspension of disbelief and I really love um, there was a video on it in Game of Thrones and how in the first couple seasons, you know, and everyone is upset at the last season. And I'm sorry, spoilers, Game of Thrones, but um how many main characters stayed alive? And it's because of suspension of disbelief. And like, you have people online saying, you guys are seriously arguing about what's believable when there's dragons and white walkers killing everyone. But, <laughs> you know, when you're writing fiction, you set up a fictional wor world and there are rules and some basic rules still apply, like, you know, time and space. And if you have poor fighters on the front lines, and they're all main characters and you see all the front lines get swiped down like how did they live it's yeah. not probable and um i'll come up with some 
like sometimes there are suspension of disbelief issues and I'll be like, no, I, I don't believe that person had time to do all those things or like the logistics of it. And um, at one point I was trying to, you know, trying to decide how long it would take to decapitate someone like, and these are the things you really have to think about. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure. They would have time. <laughs> and the conversations end up great. Like it, it's, to it's, it's funny especially with horror and I'm like <laughs> but um but yeah sometimes it's a suspension of disbelief so the thing that happened with Game of Thrones was you never knew what they were going to throw at you because like you're reading a book and like it's from the main character's point of view you assume that person is safe um Game of Thrones was known for no one was safe but then at one point I think like so one of the major characters like he gets a scratch and like, you know, you thought he was going to be around for the whole thing and he ends up dying of an infection. And yeah, that probably happened a lot back then. Yeah. But then, you know, season six or seven, one of the main character gets stabbed in the belly like five times and she continues running down a street <laughs> and she's good. <laughs> she escapes like she she like manages to duel like a one person duel to the death wins you know, sails back to Westeros and, you know, it was all downhill from there. I'm trying not to give spoilers on Game of Thrones or get too deep <laughs> into it, but, you know, like you have a moment like that and, you know, I'm like, I think your character is pretty dead, my friend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so there's some conversations like that. Um, the plot holds, it's, it's, it's always a deep discussion, the plot, you know, because there's a vision and some authors are more malleable than others some are like you know i really don't want to change anything like go ahead and fix all your grammar but this is my book it's going to be how i want it and that's the story and so i can i can make arguments but sometimes it sometimes they're heard sometimes they're not and that's okay you know and especially if someone's self-publishing and they have a vision for their book that's okay like they wrote this book how they want it to be and you know mm -hmm. they they can do that and, um, but yeah, we'll get, in, get into plot and, you know, some stuff has to be rewritten and there's a lot of going back and forth between. So, you know, I do my first run through second, third, fourth, fifth, um, and, you know, they, the author will take back a section, rewrite it, it'll work better. Awesome. You know, and we have like these back and forths with it and it's really great. It's always a fun process. <laughs> And I, I love the, like, I don't think your character is alive arguments and like, you know, how long would it take <laughs> someone to die after they were, you know, had an ax to the neck or something. And, <laughs> like, I don't think they're still talking to you on the floor, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's fun. So what's the scariest book you've ever reviewed? Ever reviewed? Um, I thought you were going to ask me scariest book I've ever read, and I want to tell you about The Exorcist. <laughs> oh, you, you carry on. Oh my gosh, I so I do audiobooks, and I started doing this because I couldn't sleep at night, and my you know my thoughts would get away from me. So the nice thing about an audiobook is that if you know if if the story's too exciting, it's still not going to help you sleep. 
if you have like a boring narrator, it's good. Some narrators are better than others for sleeping. Okay, and, um, let, let me stop you there. So you couldn't sleep. So you decided to read or listen to The Exorcist. That's correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is. But what was funny is I couldn't get past the first chapter. The first chapter put me to sleep every time, and it was magic for a long time. And <laughs> But... William Peter Blatty himself narrates this book. And once you get to the demon voices, oh my God, talk about waking up in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you can get an audio clip of that or something, but like, you know, it it's all, you know, like, you know, calm conversation. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's, oh my gosh, he like has like the voice of Satan and he's screaming and like, you're like, oh my God. You know, I was sleeping through this. <laughs> yeah, so I've also, um, you know, another one that's not great to sleep to is It. Um, that narrator, it, he's a very enthusiastic narrator. But when you stop and think about the book, you know, and like you're on Audible, you get one credit and you could pick a seven hour book or you could pick a 48 hour book. And <laughs> It and The Stand are each 48 hour books. And It, one of the characters has a stutter. One of them does voices of other characters. There's a demonic clown and everyone's screaming and it's really just not a pleasant sleeping experience. <laughs> but various <laughs> uh, book I've reviewed. Um, I think Devil's Creek by Todd Kiesling. I didn't review it, but that was one of the ones I got to proofread and it was... Oh, man, that one got me. It was very, very good. It was republished by Cemetery Dance. And um, wow, that book, that was a stunner. That's one of the one of the best ones I've read for Scare Factor. Yeah. So what's the best indie horror books that you've read recently? Um, so Dan Franklin has a book coming out that I'm very excited about. And um. I work with him. He works over at Cemetery Dance and I work on some side projects with him. And he told me, um, you know, I want you to read this book for me and let me know what you think. It's a submission read and um, it's from a friend of mine. And, you know, I just I just don't want I, I might be biased. I'm not sure. So I don't know who the author is. Um, thank God I loved this book. I can't believe he did this to me. Um, <laughs> you read this book. The book was amazing. Um, and it, and it was one of the ones that did get a little too real. Like, I think I had to run out and get an emergency pack of cigarettes. Like that happened. And, um, my boyfriend picked me up cigarettes and he got me a lighter with a creepy clown on it. And I was, it was a whole, it was a whole situation. <laughs> but he didn't tell me he wrote this book until it was like two months ago. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of these books I've read, I don't always follow up on, but this one stuck with me. And I was like, hey, whatever happened to that author? Did he do the rewrites? Is it getting submitted? Well, it turns out Dan Franklin wrote this book <laughs> himself. He didn't tell me. And I'm like, oh, my God, because... Um, there was another book he had me do a submission read for, and I was not so kind on it. I give it a much harsher review. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I'm glad it wasn't that one. But yeah, so he's got a book coming out in February, I believe. It is called These Things Linger. And it is one of those paranormal ones and, you know, goes into, uh, you know, I don't really know how to sum it up. It's been a while since I've read it and I'm actually doing a reread on it now. You know, now that I know it's him, I needed to read it again. I, and um, I, I even forget which scene it was in it that had me, you know, I'm, I'm sure on the reread I will find it, but this is one to look out for, for sure. And that's going to be coming from Cemetery Dance in February. That was definitely a scary one. Brilliant. So I should look out for that one. Yeah. So who were your top three authors and why? Uh, Stephen King, <laughs> of course. Um, for so many reasons, but he really defines so much of the horror genre. And some of the classic horror, like when you really think about it, like some of the household references and, you know, pop culture and like, you know, how many people call their dog Cujo and like, I've never read the book. <laughs> and, yeah. but, you know, there's that or um, everyone knows who Pennywise is or Jack Torrance from The Shining. And so much of the genre, like, was built like some of those classic, like, uh, you know, Annie Wilkes and Kathy Bates and Misery and like, not even from the books themselves, but the movies. And a lot of Stephen King's like, you know, I found the movies first and then went back to read the books. Um, and, you know, I really have a rule about trying not to watch a movie until I've read the book. But, you know, when you're in high school, you just watch movies, yeah. um, you know, but then I'd track down the book and I'd read it. And um he, he definitely is the master of horror. He certainly is. And, you know, you could just pick up anywhere with him and it's a different story each time. And it really just wows me, like how he can come up with all this stuff. Um, all right. My other two, and the top three is hard. It's really limiting. Uh, favorite authors. Um, are we talking horror authors or authors in general? Says. Of course, of course. William <laughs> Peter Blatty. Excellent. And Thomas Harris. Um, I recently picked up the Hannibal Lecter series. I absolutely love it. With the exception of Hannibal Rising, I did not care for that one. Yeah. But um, I recently read the Hannibal Lecter series. And like, I loved those movies. Like, cause I, I love the movies as much as I love the books. And I love reading the book, watching the movie, watching the remake, reading the book again, watching the made-for-TV series, you know, and all the different versions of a thing. And that's, I guess that's one of the things I love about Stephen King as well, because, you know, there's um, there's the book, The Stand, then there's um, the 1990 miniseries, then they remade it recently, a couple years ago. And, like, you know, each thing has its defining factors and they redid pet cemetery recently i'm loving the remakes that are kind of modernized um the new it movies were fantastic um i i actually loved the new it movies better than the original and i don't i don't say that often but the original was just you know i love tim curry but it just was cheesy to me that movie um <laughs> Don't you feel like disappointed when some of the like details aren't the same as what are in the actual book? I am so glad you asked me that. Um, so there's a difference for me 
Now, if a book came out last year and they're making it into a movie, yeah, I'll get mad. I'll get mad about that if they're not like being honest to the book. But you have something like um, I've been watching um, on Max. They did interview with a vampire and they've got a season one of it. And there's this is a hot debate on there because um, we all know the classic story interview with the vampire, Louie yeah. and Lestat and the movie with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Now, for the I don't know if you're familiar with the version on Max, but there was a lot of rumors, you know, from the characters like, were they gay? Were Louis and Lestat an actual gay couple? And for Max um, on, you know, the season one, they just dove into it. They're like, yeah, they are gay and we're running with it. And yeah. I, I think that's so cool. And is it honest to the book? No, but it is a new spin on a traditional story we've heard a thousand times and it's refreshing and I, I love it. I love it. You know, when you have I a did, classic like that, that's remade and like a new yeah. spin on it. I really love I did that. Watch and then, these you don't know what's going to happen. I thought the series was quite good. Oh, you watched it too? Good. Yeah, I thought the series I, I, was brilliant, to be fair. You know, I um, and then I had to go rewatch the movie, the original. You know, I hate that movie, you know, and I've been trying. I've been really trying to listen to the audiobook. And speaking of narrators that put me to sleep, um, I have not gotten past part three. You know, I just I don't know. I wake up in the morning and like the book is finishing. <laughs> but um, I've heard that. The Vampire Lestat is a much more exciting book, and I'm excited for that one. I haven't read that one yet, but um, I was very familiar with Interview with the Vampire, and I hadn't read the book yet. So I had to go, you know, I found the series on Max. I kind of, and sometimes this happens. You discover horror all backwards, you know, and, you know, you're kind of ashamed to say I haven't read Interview with the Vampire yet. You find the series on Max, then you have to go watch the movie and read the book, and it's all backwards. But, you know, I knew that the story because it's one of those you know just household references that yeah one knows that story and so i i really love when they do that um when they make a change that kind of changes the vision of the book that bugs me don't like the dark tower the movie they made oh god what a travesty that was um you know and or like if they just like rip the soul out of something like if you're doing a twist on it, like you better be honoring the story, you yeah. know, like make it badass, make it awesome, make it new. Um, don't rip out the core of the story. If you have a core character, these are their values. You keep them like um, I guess that goes along with the suspension of disbelief. I think and it like has to be there's a set of rules, you know, and the rules, you know, can everyone can someone just sit there and define the rules? Uh, no. But you know them when you're watching, like you're like, this isn't right. And, um, you know, whether it's a suspension of disbelief issue, whether they're not being true to the book, the original story, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, yeah. Bag of Bones was a book by Stephen King. I really loved that was a horrible movie. Like, don't even bother. Skip the whole thing. You know, and there's a lot like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, when they can do a good job and pull it off, you know, I, I like that. So you had asked me about favorite authors and I just went off. Um, no, that's fine. What she said. <laughs> yeah, what she so, said, one. Um, 
yeah, William Peter Blatty, um, the Exorcist and Legion are both fantastic. And the Thomas Harris series are incredible and we're hard. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs, not the Hills. Where did they Do you know what I just found out yesterday? Um, you know, Jodie Foster was in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. It was not her and Hannibal. It was a different actress. I think Did you was. know that? Yeah, I think she only did the first one, didn't she? If I remember rightly. I didn't know it wasn't her in the second one. They made her look so similar. And you know what it was? I was Googling the Hunger Games. And like sometimes I see an actress somewhere. I like you're watching some random show and you're like, where do I know this person from? And it was um she was the president Alma Coyne in the Hunger Games. And I'm like, she looks familiar. What's she been in? And I'm like, Hannibal. Clarice Starling, excuse me? I'm like, it's Jodie Foster. <laughs> I'm like, how did they pull this over on me? Like, do you know how many times I've seen that movie? I can't believe I didn't realize it was a completely different actress. They did such a good job. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, that, that was fun. I just found that out actually yesterday, as a matter of fact. But um, the book Hannibal had a wild turn at the end that... Um, I don't know. It does it count as a spoiler if the book came out forty years ago? Mm, no. Um, in the have you read the Hannibal Lecter series? Yeah. Yeah. So, what did you think about the end of Hannibal? I have to know. I'll be honest; I can't remember. <laughs> oh okay, so Clarice ran away with Hannibal in the book at the end. And they like went off to France together and like, you know, we're dancing at the opera and like, I can't function with this information. Like, I don't, like it goes against like everything I know from the movies because this was one of the ones I knew the movies backwards, forwards and wasn't even aware they were books until the last couple years. And I read the books and I'm like, excuse me, Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster would never. <laughs> <laughs> you know because she's such this like high moral character in the movies and in the book i mean like yeah he he totally tortured her and hypnotized her and whatever and used dirty tricks but still i'm like i'm like i don't know how to go on with this information this changes everything <laughs> yeah it was it was wild so you really don't like changes then from the book <laughs> i think oh so you know what when I don't know, like I feel like the book betrayed the character in this <laughs> instant. You know, it's funny because you write a character for two books, and the character has these moral values, and you're like, that does not sit right with me. And you know, one of the rare occasions where you know I think the movie ended it better than the book. Not that the book didn't wow me and impress me, but I don't think Clarice. Oh, as an editor, you would have suggested to the author to actually... Right. I would have been like, excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Harris, I don't think Clarice would do this. And he would have been like, listen, you know, shut your mouth, <laughs> lady. <laughs> Could you imagine being like Stephen King's editor and trying to tell him no on something? I can't. Oh my gosh. This, but someone is Stephen King's editor. Someone is. There, there's a person out there, you know, telling Stephen King no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of has to be the killjoy sometimes, but it happens. <laughs> it does. It really does. 
<laughs> so is there anything else you'd like to add, Lisa? Cool. I feel like I went on a tangent for most. I'm so sorry. No, but, it's um, right. <laughs> it was lovely chatting with you. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. This is great. Coming on.